I know, I know, season two is over, but what is not over is creativity. And also, this really special code, 20% off right this second at NathanMorrisMusic.com. Click any item and at checkout, type in NMM20. That is N as in Nathan, M as in Morris, M as in Music 20 for 20% off any shirt you purchase at NathanMorrisMusic.com, the official merch store. There is good stuff happening. You hold tight. I assure you to continue to meet you where you are and please meet me where I am on all the socials, like buying you something and then taking a picture of it and tagging me on Insta at Nathan Morris or saying something to me at Nathan Morris Music on TikTok and all the other fun places. January 20th, a new single releases, a new record in the works, soon to have a release date for that too. And then hold tight because season three is just around the river bend. You're loved far more than you could ever know. Thank you for all that you bring to this life because you are worthy. Head over to the store right now and grab you some swag. Code NMM20. Die Trying contains sensitive subject matter and conversations surrounding death and dying and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is respectfully advised. It's you. It's me. And welcome to Season 2, Episode 138 of YDT. You'll Die Trying. Triers, it's a show, this show, pulling back the curtain, taking down the walls brick by brick and exposing the hearts of those who are caring for those you love most. And in this instance, it's me caring for someone personally who I love most. I don't want to do this episode. We must. be on the other side of the table that that's where I am I would walk the casket selection room of Haley McGinnis when it was filled with entirely too many caskets because Mike my father-in-law wanted to show everything he would teach and reteach me how to display these caskets beautifully beautifully pulling on the interiors straightening, fluffing, meticulously aligning the corners of the pillows so that they were centered perfectly symmetrical with the interior of the casket. It had to balance. To Mike, this was an art, and it should be done daily. If a family had to make a difficult purchase, the selections available in our care in our casket selection room better be perfect, as that's what the family deserved. I remember him coming down with me into the care center as I was embalming. At this time, I was simply a level one apprentice. I knew nothing. I can't say that. I knew things, but I was not licensed. And I had never seen anyone to this day even feature a mouth so swiftly and beautifully. It was second nature to him. 
how he used the string, how he used the cotton, the webral towel. It was amazing. We shared stories during this time together, how raising the femoral artery was how he learned to embalm and how he always went there first instead of the carotid and how going to the femoral helped alleviate the need for a hidden stitch if you are in fact embalming a younger female whose family would probably bring a blouse that was a little lower cut. Raising the femoral was Mike's go-to. I remember Mike showing me how easy the femoral was to find and the best, most efficient way to get to it every single time. He'd asked for a couple pieces of suture or string. I recall being very sparing with it as I knew that Mike was super tight with things. He never wanted to use too much and you had to be mindful. He never wasted before making the cut of the suture with the string probably not even 10 inches in length, Mike said, and I'll never forget it, string is cheap. I'm okay with you making it longer. That was the only time in 12 years we spent in the care center together. He had this chair which was the ugliest thing that I have ever seen. The maroon fabric had been faded from years, being on the porch with the sunlight baking the colors out of it and from countless butts sitting on it. But he loved it. It had these seashells on it. It was hideous. I mean, it was known as his chair. If staff were sitting in it during a visitation and Mike came rounding the corner, you'd better get up. I would hide the thing when he wasn't around. I'd move it to the darkest, farthest point in the home, hoping he'd forget about it. But he never did. I even would put this chair on top of his desk when he would come in in the morning. The thing did finally disappear accidentally during a renovation. So I wasn't totally to blame. I'd go back to Mike's office filled with gun smokes, shootout sounds, audio just so loud, pipe smoke haze, and Mike, ever attentive to both the TV and the doorway, and who'd be entering it. I'd frequent the office of his numerous times a day, bringing new ideas, thoughts, conversation, questions, you name it. If I didn't go back there at least twice a day... It was often asked if Mike and I were in an argument. Lunches shared, stories shared, time shared. I remember countless steak dinners, glasses of bourbon, smoking our pipes, talking about the old school funeral director's obstacles, how tough and cutthroat it once was and in some aspects still is. I mean, I took up wearing suspenders like him. The man always dressed so nicely. His shoes would be glistening, his suits perfect. 
dry cleaned dress shirts straight from the drive through window and out of the plastic wrapping he'd put on. He looked the part on top of being the part. Mike took care of everything. Frugal, honest, loyal. The man cleaned out plastic cups and bowls from our lunches together, saying they're perfectly fine to reuse. Mike didn't want to throw perfectly good things away. He grew up with nothing. Mike worked his way to where he is, earning every achievement along the way. When you have nothing, you know no different, really. So when you begin to experience success and comfort, you tend to maintain the same mentality that you had when ripped jeans and worn shoes were the norm. I remember the day Mike put his hands in the air and said, you all do it. Out of relief, out of grief, out of hope. This happened to be the 55th year as a licensed funeral director in Kentucky. He'd buried his parents, his son, countless friends, military brothers and sisters, siblings. The weight of decades of grief, choosing you over himself, they'd come to a head. I remember him also saying this day, right before walking out of the funeral home the last time, you don't retire from this. You just die. May 14th, Mike retired. After 60 years in the funeral profession, at 9.22 a.m., he died at his favorite place in all of the world, his home. Kay was with him, and all his children were close by. I got my suit on and I drove to his house. I met with Jameson, the hospice nurse, fumbling over paperwork I would have otherwise have been too smooth and able to complete without incident. I confessed in my grief and Jameson quickly realized a family of funeral directors are grieving their own. Autographing my name on the paperwork, I kept saying, I can't believe I'm signing Mike's provisional. Chris, Micah, Christine, all joined us to assist in honoring the man who, without his believing in us, whether directly or indirectly, would not have had this opportunity to serve and work at a funeral home devoted to his community. Delicately, they tended to Mike, as they would have with anyone else, I'm certain. For me, this moment was beautiful, where I kept saying, wow, wow, in my mind to be on the other side of the table, loving someone so very much personally and watching the delicacy and honor being shown to him. 
my. How lucky families who call on my team are to be able to experience such reverence. How moving. Like a choreographed dance, he was gently placed, American flag draping his body, honoring his service in the United States Army. He was so proud, so proud of his country. I traveled with him to the funeral home, the home he had committed himself to for 60 years, spending countless hours with those experiencing their darkest, offering a place to grieve and gather at the cost of time away from family and friends because he chose you. Chris and Micah continued their care as I sat off to the side, typing his obituary tribute, preparing for the arrangements the following day. May 2010, I went to Mike's office as an eager stranger begging for an opportunity. I promised him if he hired me, I'd be the best employee he had ever hired. Mike, thank you for, thank you for taking a chance. You have offered a life to myself that I could have never dreamt of. I hope I have lived up to this promise I made to you in that smoke-filled office 12 years ago. Thank you for believing in me to have part in carrying on the legacy that you worked so hard to build. May your memory be eternal. For now, I have a lot of final preparations to complete. As this episode airs, I will be taking lead and we will be burying Mike in the cemetery where his monument readily marks his memorial. Perhaps Mike cared for one of your own, whether you even know it or not. He chose you every single day and passed that focus on to me. I would always end a day as he walked out the door right at four o'clock, usually to sneak because he knew I would be there to say, Daddy? I love you, Mike. Take care. We'll see you at 139.